The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. I hope you're well listening in from wherever you are this morning. It is the Urban Cube show brought to you on Inspire FM 105.1 FM. The time is 10 o'clock and it's Monday 14th of October and I'm Shamiza taking you all the way up to 12 o'clock on a show full of quirky conversations with great creatives from locally, nationally and internationally on the show. Um, but today we are not having anyone in the studio. Um, so Facebook Live is on. You can still leave comments on the uh, comment section, but our, studio, our guests are actually over the phone this morning um, and we'll be I'll be sharing who they are very, very shortly. Now, on today's show, I am really exploring the contributions of women and um, how women are really making a mark, in particular, in particular, Muslim um, women. And uh, the way I'm going to be doing that is, of course, having conversations with great guests who are really contributing and making a mark in every um, area of their lives. Now, on the show, um, I'm also going to be not just speaking to a um, uh, a mindset coach. I'm also going to be uh, talking to a uh, a cardiac, oh, cardiac nurse specialist who's gone on to run her own aesthetic clinic. She's a blogger, a very successful blogger and a mother of five. I'm also going to be joined by a guest who is a who is doing research at uh, Oxford University on the contribution of Muslim women and Pakistani women are making. And, um, and she's inviting uh, the community of Luton, the women of Luton, to kind of engage with her research. And we're going to be having some Urdu Shari on the show today as well. And um, I'm absolutely delighted to be introducing very, very shortly a poet who's making his mark across the international shores, as well as in England as well, who's going to be talking to us about the art form of Urdu poetry and the revival of that. This is all happening on the show today. Now, if you'd like to get involved with any of the conversations, um, I would uh, love you to get engaged with us um, on the show today. And in order to do that, um, what you need to do is contact us on 07779481822. Now, I want to ask you in relation to language, the power of communication, um, and, and especially the fact that we have a fantastic guest on the show today um, by the name of uh, Temur, Temur Rahman, who is is also known as Ghassid. Now, Temur is an internationally celebrated Urdu literature, poetry, narrator and writer from Pakistan. And as I've already mentioned, he's reviving the lost art form of the Urdu language. And what I want to ask you guys, if you're listening in um, and you're a parent, how important is it for you to encourage your children to speak their mother tongue or in particular the Urdu language? Um, are you a, do you converse with your children in the home in their mother tongue? Or do you speak English? Um, 
interestingly, um, whilst I was growing up, I was actually um, made to speak Urdu. I was, uh, my parents were very, very strict and I'm really at home. I wasn't allowed to speak English and I'm really, really glad that I was taught to um, speak Urdu because that's actually really helped me in the future. And it's actually really encouraged me to kind of um, um, learn more about the arts and culture um, in Pakistan and learn about, you know, the poetry, so forth. So I'd like to find out from you guys, how important is it for you to engage your children in learning their mother tongue? Um, that could be, it could be um, any anything that you speak, but in particular, I'm asking about Urdu. Um, and um, interestingly, this conversation is going to kind of con- lead on to some of the conversations we're going to have with um, our guests on the show, um, because there has been a report, a research suggesting, um, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with, um, that uh, a while back, the fact that, you know, um, Muslim women or Pakistani women are not contributing or the older generation haven't contributed in society or because they can't speak English. Um, yes, the uh, learning uh, speaking English is very important. However, um, you know what? Um, so is acquiring the um, skills of your own language and and sharing that with your children. I don't know. I'm I'm getting a little bit tongue tied here. Maybe my guest um, on the phone right now um, will be able to help me answer this question. Um, I'm joined by no other than the very fabulous author, mindset coach, international award-winning, inspirational speaker, TV host, and ambassador for the She Awards. It's no other than Musarat Alahi. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Shmaiza, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I thought you might do that in Urdu, actually, because I know you, you're very, you're, you speak very good Urdu. You actually present an Urdu speaking show on, um, yeah. um, on one of the uh, digital uh, channels, um, in particular, Islam channel Urdu. Um, so we're, we're talking about language and we're talking about language skills. Uh, Mazat, why is, was it important for you to kind of uh, do a show in Urdu when actually you're, you're quite, you know, English is like your first language in a sense? Well, actually, you pushed me to that. <laughs> so I don't know where we're going to go with this. You literally pushed me and actually um, the audience were listening. Shamiza said, I see you in an Urdu audience. Please, please go do that. I would love to see you in an Urdu show. And subhanAllah, you know, when you get there, Kali Zubane, yeah, you know, you've got that kind of Zuban and it happens. So maybe I should get you to do more wishful thinking for me. Actually. Oh, <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that, but thank you very much. But you, you know, um, how has that benefited you, and how has that kind of like benefited your audi- well, actually, audience? Well, like, well, actually, I am. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not one of those to uh, uh, to express the fact that how difficult it was to make that transition because mm. I did have. A, I did have a show in English before, mm. and. Um, Obviously, we speak more Punjabi at home, actually, Putwari mm-hmm. to be more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's the word, to be in detail. But the thing is, um, Urdu, actually, I've never actually really, really spoken it. And I've learned it from picking up, you know, obviously um, watching Pakistani dramas and mm-hmm. stuff like that, because mm-hmm. the Urdu is very poetic and it's mm-hmm. very pure. So when I went into um, having my own show, Midas Hair and Islam Channel Urdu, what happened was... Um, um, it was a great experience for me. I did stumble a little bit at the beginning, but um, I just pushed on. And, you know, I think 
once you start hearing and then once you start speaking, I think your your subconscious mind just starts putting those mm, words to your mouth mm. and they just come out. And it's about practice, it's, isn't it? It's about practice. Yeah. Um, and what's really, really quite interesting, you, you're not going to believe this. Um, my daughter, mashallah, her... Um, she did remarkably well in a spelling bee and a spelling bee is a spelling contest and it was a spelling bee language festival contest. So she'd kind of got in the top four sort of locally across all the schools um, for Spanish and French. And then I kind of asked her to kind of, uh, you know, speak to me in Urdu or do the translation of those words in Urdu. And um, and she was able to do that as well. I'm like, what is going oh, wow. on? I've done really well here. But it was quite <laughs> exactly. funny. But my mother did turn around and say, look, you know what? French gochoro, you know what? Spanish gochoro, focus on the Urdu. That's all you need. That is all you need. But it's great to have those um, language skills. Now, are you a parent that actually encourages um, your child to speak a mother tongue? Yes. Well, actually, yes, definitely. And when my daughter was up to two and a half years old, my mum used to look after her and my sister-in-law. So she, she learned Punjabi first, actually. Mm. And I personally believe if you speak Punjabi first before any other language, right. you can pick up any other language on your tongue. I just wow. think that. Yeah. And I think Urdu, because Urdu is a bit more, I think, more formal and it's mm. more focused. Mm. Because I know I've seen my cousins and stuff who learned Urdu first as a language and then learning Punjabi afterwards, mm. they couldn't, you could, you could see they've got an accent in Punjabi. Right, right. So like an Urdu accent, which is quite weird. And it's like, but when we were transitioning from Punjabi to Urdu, we had no, the, the, the accent wasn't a problem. So mm. I think it's all about how your brain wavelengths do that. So my daughter, mashallah, she speaks Urdu, yes. But the funny thing is she speaks more English because, um, her father would like to practice English at home. <laughs> and I'm noticing, I've I've noticed even grandparents are now, where the grandparents back in the day were very, very quite strict. They're like, you know, grandpa, as in our parents who are now grandparents, yeah, yeah. very strict on us. Make sure you only speak your, your Zaban or your, your mother home. tongue at home. No English is allowed. And now they are constantly speaking to the grandchildren in English and practicing their English on them. No, I shouldn't say that. But um, it's really quite interesting to see how the tables are turned. Do you think it's um, this is the uh, heritage might be lost if we're not encouraging our children to kind of understand yes. or speak the language? Yes. yes, definitely, definitely. Because it's like, you know, obviously, if you, even if you are British born, whatever, you are Pakistani in the day, you know, your parents are Pakistani and, you know, your you know, I, don't, I think culture is something that should never be forgotten. So you should be tried and tied to be, you know, in your, inside your culture as much as possible. Mm. Um, and I think obviously, you know, we're living in a, you know, Western society anyway, we're adapting to the norms of the way we dress and the way we are. And I, and you know, and it's quite, um, I think I find it quite upsetting to see sometimes when you see Asians who are actually embarrassed to be saying that they're Asians and they try to be more English. And it's like, why, why are you ashamed of your culture? You know, every culture is beautiful in its own nature. Mm -hmm. And you bringing culture to the table is something that is part of Britain, really, because Britain is a multicultural society. Do you think people so, um, or, or, or young, the younger generation quite embarrassed to be heard speaking in yeah, their think, mother tongue? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I see, I've seen, I've seen some like that. Or I think they just, they just want to prove, you know, they think being more English and being more British. But the thing is, you can't change the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. you, you can't change your parents and the way they are. And I think it's, you know, but I think that thing is improving over time now. Mm -hmm. And it all depends on how your upbringing is with your children. Like, you know, do you, are you, are you keeping in touch with them and their culture? And I think it's very, very important 
of send, you know taking your children back home to Pakistan every few years mm-hmm. or India or Bangladesh or wherever you're from to make them to see that side of the world mm-hmm. and that side of the culture because it just expands their wisdom really and knowledge of okay I'm not just in England and this is my life and it's just about me earning and it's just about speaking English and just you know just having that focus but it's good to like I think it's I think it's a learning curve in the day I, you know we tend to take our daughter back home as much as we can like maybe mm-hmm. every few years mm-hmm. it was very consistent up until the last couple of years but then I noticed the change when every time we when we were taking her actually which is actually has the funny thing when we were taking her every year her language is very intact but now since there was a big gap I right. noticed that Urdu is not the same anymore because it's it's actually because, the practice as well because whilst I was growing exactly. up there was always Urdu schools and Urdu classes and I'm seeing less and less of that because the focus doesn't seem to be on the actual language learning it's more now focused yeah. on sort of Islam and making sure that you know we prioritize the classes um, for children and Islam and Arabic Tajweed seems to be um, yeah. very very popular at the moment as well now your program that um is Urdu based. Um, it, it reaches out to uh, a lot of viewers, mashallah, in, um, not just local, nationally, but internationally. How has the uh, response been for you for this show? Oh, well, the response has been, alhamdulillah, you know, I can't thank Allah enough. It's been amazing. I think because I tend to have the, re- the name of the show is called Amidus Ahead, which means the dawn of hope. Um, so I have guests on there who come and speak about their stories and very common stories, in fact, mm-hmm. about that are not really spoken about in society. Mm-hmm. For example, I think um, the biggest issue that we have in a society is where women are labeled as um, the problem in a marriage just because she's divorced. They say, oh, she must have caused something. That's why she's divorced. Um, and I've been trying really hard to break that stigma. And mm-hmm. I've had lots of women who have been divorced to show their side of the story mm-hmm. and say, look, this is what happened, which is why my marriage broke down. And I think it's been a big eye-opener to many, you know, to the society. Even if it makes one, you know, if it mm-hmm. makes one mindset change, I think that's still a bit of a puddle, you know, a bit of a, a drip in the, in the pond mm-hmm. that you could say that, yes, a drop in the pond that you could say, look, you know, the change has started and the response has been phenomenal. And I've had, you know, I've had couples on there who've not had children, you know, and then they were struggling to have children, which is something that should be spoken about. And I think the feeling that, you know, the society doesn't understand especially the culture society, like, you know, um, whereas nobody understands the pain that they feel behind that, whereas mm-hmm. it's not something that's in their hands at the end of the day. Fertility, for example, you know, is not in your hands. It's in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands. And, you know, lots of other people who've had, like, you know, skin diseases and, and what whatnot, subhanAllah, it's just been great. I've had some phenomenal women on my show. Mashallah. I was, I was amazed to see that this is happening and proud to see this happening in the Asian society. And the fact that women are coming forward, and this is the whole premise of today's show. We're not just talking about, you know, language, the Urdu language, and um, and it's and reviving that. Um, we're also talking um, to my guests this morning about the contribution of Pakistani, South Asian, Muslim women are having in British society. Now, the reason why I'm um, talking about this topic is because last week was International Girl Child Day and it was wonderful to see the 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 uh, on social media the contribution of so many women and girls uh, that women are having on girls lives and bringing them forward and enabling them to empower them in all 
sections of society. But unfortunately, we, we still see a number of girls across the world who are not educated, who are not able to have equal rights and who don't even have um, basic sanitary um, you know, sanitary uh, equipment, unfortunately. And um, so the International Girl Child Day, I think, was uh, very, very interesting to absor- um, observe. Now, I'm speaking to uh, Musarat Elahi on the show today. She's an author, mindset coach, international award-winning inspirational speaker, TV host, and an ambassador for the She, Wa- she Award. And one thing that really resonates um, very well with Musarat is the fact that she is a trailblazer when it comes to engaging and inspiring and getting women to come forward and share their stories. And in particular on this show, another one, another guest that I'm looking forward to speaking to is no other than um, Alina Din, who's actually studying at Oxford University. She's doing a PhD. She's a history student and um, she's actually focusing on the migration and settlement of women from Azad Kashmir, Pakistan to different parts of the UK. Um, and the whole purpose of this is to kind of highlight that the contribution Pakistani women have made to British society by collecting the testimonies of migrant and first generation women so that they know so they are no longer invisible. Now, this is on the back end of the fact that there has been um, reports suggesting um, that, you know, Muslim women, Pakistani women who, because they can't speak English, have not been able to contribute actively in society. Now, I want to ask you, Masad, how did you feel when you hear that, when you hear when you heard that report suggesting that just because women are not speaking English, because they're not able to communicate in English, they're not fully contributing to society? Well, that depends really. Um, it, is, it is upsetting at the same time, but at the same time, I think it doesn't matter what language you're where you're from, you can express your views at least. Um, like for example, like I think having more platforms in Urdu, like I have my platform mm. where I've given to many women whose English isn't their first language actually have come on. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't dare to say they don't speak English well because um, at least they are communicating in English if they have learned that. But their most work has been in Urdu and in mm. based in Pakistan mm. and around the world. So I think that's, you know, that's a bit of a negative report. I think once a woman puts her mind to something, mm. nothing can really stop her. I don't think language is going to make any difference. It all depends on how much, how motivated you are, how, how you know, you know, because I always believe this, and I teach this to my clients, and wherever I speak is, I think everybody's born with a purpose, mm-hmm. and everybody's got a unique gift to give out to this world before they leave. So, I don't think a language or anything can be a barrier. So, if you want to do something, you will go out and do it. And your show is a real testament to the fact that those, the women that may have been missed off the radar who have a story to tell, who've not been able to say it in English, have had a platform to come forward and comfortably, in a safe space, express themselves. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. And I think it's about having more platforms like mine where women are able to come on and speak. And it's, I just I just don't think anyone is higher than anyone else, which is why I say I, you know, I believe in common people coming in my show. And I think we're all common. I don't think anyone is above anyone else. Mm-hmm. And for them to come and share their stories and their journeys and their hard work in the society um, it's phenomenal, and it and it and it makes me to go in awe. Actually, I feel embarrassed for the fact that I haven't done enough. Whereas, I, you know, English is my main language, mm-hmm. and I'm more educated, and I'm educated in the UK. And these people have come from back home and made these changes, phenomenal changes to the world. 
mashallah. And uh, we look forward to following those stories even more so. Um, I want to ask you about International Girl Child Day. And I know this resonates quite well with you because you've actually released a book which celebrates um, the education of a young girl. Um, yeah. Do you feel more work needs to be done, um, Masad, when it comes to uh, motivating young girls and empowering them with this, uh, equipping them with not just communication skills, but the skills, work skills and education? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think that stigma of uh, the old society is, you know, is, is dying now, mm-hmm. which is great for the fact that um, education is seen as a bystander for women to say, you know, you know, you know, they don't need to educate themselves because they're just going to end up in the kitchen, which I think, well, regardless if they're going to end up in the kitchen or just get married, education is, is so necessary. Knowledge is something that the Nabi Wasallam said, that keep acquiring knowledge until you even die. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the knowledge which we're going to pass on to our generation, to your children, to your nephews and nieces. So having, I think, first, most, but most, I think women should be inspired in girls is to educate yourself from a young age. And I think what I would say is not just normal education in math, science and English that we have with the subjects that we have in school. And I think self-development is the main thing, I mm-hmm. think, which needs to be more highlighted in schools now, which I think is slowly starting to pick up because mm-hmm. coming from a self-development background, I've noticed that... Um, you know, sometimes I always wish that I wish I knew this 10 years ago or 15 years ago of my life. Gosh, where would my life be? But I think if I've made, if I've had this, you know, revelation, maybe this is something that needs to be instilled with the girls of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if they can have this of tomorrow, like, where would they be? It'd be unimaginable. So I think, you know, that could be added for the fact that, you know, instilling self-development from a very young age of, you know, mm-hmm. self-affirmations, you know, like, you know, self-positivity, you know, how, you know self-love which I think needs to be more and more installed in girls, especially especially with the images of the media, you know, showing us, you know, what we should look like and what we should we eat and stuff like that. You know, but nobody really talks about the main, main thing is about how to be happy mm-hmm. and how, to, you know, how to love yourself as who you are, which is something I think is very, very necessary. And it's taking that pride um, and, and, and having the confidence to be able to do that. So how do you make, as a mindset coach, how do you reach out to people? How can people contact you, Masad? Well, I've got my website, obviously, um, mm-hmm. So um, there's more contact, more than you, know, you can email me there, you know, if you have any questions. And so one of like, my Facebook, you know, is, is, always, is also there. And I have lots of women who contact me mm-hmm. on a daily basis if they've got any problem. And if I can help them there and then, I would be more than happy to give my two cents and, um, you know, say, look, this is what you need to do. Um, you know, I'll give a suggestion. I won't force it, whatever. But I'm just thinking, you know, I had a, a couple of weeks ago, I had a mother actually who mm-hmm. contacted me, worried about her daughter who was, um, you know, going through, I think she was, she caught her daughter doing something very out of her age mm-hmm. like you know like when she was looking viewing online mm-hmm. and she was very worried and she was very embarrassed to go and you know contact anyone else and I just gave her a few suggestions alhamdulillah overnight the mother and daughter relationship was improved massively because wow. she, she told me that di- yeah she told me the distance barriers that they were having and mm-hmm. then you know I, I know I said to her like you know rather than you know judging her just go in there you know I gave a few tips to do you know go in there and you know as a friend not as a mother and you see the massive impact mm-hmm. and I think it's more about being there for others and having an open ear can make a massive difference. So just listen. Definitely. I'm always here to listen. If anybody wants to contact me, I'd be more than happy to help. Well, we have a listener who's just contacted us and um, 
if if they if they could kindly give me their name because I'm seeing Atik two on here, but if you could give me your name, Salam alaikum, sister. I'm assuming um, she says she works with women in her centre where and the women of all ages are provided English language skills. Um, she's and but I am educated by them on a daily basis from the skills they have and the knowledge they have. Women are, are amazing, and it's amazing to see how me, how much they can achieve even with the limitations of language. This lady on radio totally resonates with her, and she's talking about women not limited 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 by things like language. Thank you so very much uh, for that message. And um, what do you think to that, Mazart? Because you know what you're talking about is really resonating with um, this wonderful listener. Thank you so very much for contacting us. That language shouldn't limit us in what, we're, what we want to achieve, but it can actually precisely. be an asset too. Yes, precisely. If, you know, I think, like I said at the beginning, um, that we're in the middle, is, like knowledge is something that we should keep mm. acquiring. And if learning a language is about knowledge anyway, but like the listener has mentioned, you know, language is not really a barrier, really. If you mm. want to really do something and put your mind to it, it is achievable. Now, I'm going to do a bit of a um, test, a language test with you, Mazat. Okay. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> All right. So I'll give you the English. You need to give me the Urdu. Watermelon. Ah, uh, Zarda. Uh, huh? Watermelon yes, Zarda? I thought Zarda was zarda. sweet rice. No, no, no. There's, there's a way of saying it. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, there's Zarda, I think. Sweet rice, I think that's in Punjabi to say Zarda. Okay, so. kitchen. Uh, kitchen? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and... Um... Yalla, don't embarrass me. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. We're heading off to a break now, so I'm going to put a stop oh, there. But thank you... So... Booth, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you can go now. <laughs> You need to go and get yourself some. Right. Thank you so very much, Masat, for joining us. And uh, congratulations for the work that you do and also being an ambassador for the She Awards. We weren't able to talk about that, but that's a real celebration of all the achievements of women across the country. Um, So I'm sure folks can Google that. And um, so thank you so very much. We're heading off to a break and we're going to be joined by another fantastic guest who's doing a PhD at Oxford University, Alina Din, straight after this. Asalaamu Alaikum. Asalaamu Alaikum. From the heart of Bedfordshire in Luton, this is Inspire FM. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. It's 10.30, Monday 14th of October and you're listening to Shamiza on the Urban Cube show, taking all the way up to 12 o'clock this morning on Inspire FM. We're beaming out loud and proud to the wonderful listeners in Luton surrounding areas and Peterborough on Salaam Radio and Sheffield on Link FM. So thank you so very much, guys, for tuning in this morning. Um, and if you'd like to tell me where else you're listening in from, then why not on 07779481 Um, That's the WhatsApp number. So look forward to reading out your text messages this morning. Um, What's really quite intriguing on the show today, we are kind of becoming multilingual. We're kind of homing in on our Urdu or um, native uh, mother tongue skills this morning. 
because on today's show, I've had the pleasure of speaking to no other than Musat Elahi earlier on, who actually does a, um, a show in Urdu. And the whole purpose of her show on Islam Channel is to basically to engage an audience and guests that don't normally get a platform to share their experiences, um, in particular women. And today's show is about language skills and how we can kind of nurture and, and connect to our love for or the lost form of uh, mother tongue or lost art form of Urdu in particular, because I'm joined by later on in the show by no other than um, Tamur Rahman. Tamur is a, a well-known and uh, popular Urdu poet and narrator who's uh, who has worked on numerous festivals showcasing the beauty and the art form of Urdu language and he's going to be performing on the show on the latter half which I'm really looking forward to hearing and I'm sure you will too. Also I'm joined by a fantastic uh, uh, remarkable woman who is actually a mother of five. She is a, a very established entrepreneur, blogger, um She's also a qualified nurse and actually runs an aesthetic clinic. She'll be joining us um, and uh, after 11 o'clock and her name is is a Safina Khan and Safina is going to be talking to me about how to how she's balancing um, her work and her work life and motherhood and she actually speaks five languages as well so I'm quite intrigued um, to hear a lot more from her as well but before then I'm really really excited to introduce my next guest now this is a, a remarkable young woman who is really really breaking the glass ceiling when it comes to education. Um, she is doing a PhD in history. She's a history student at the University of Oxford and originally hailing from Middlesbrough. Now she is focusing on the migration settlement of women from Azad Kashmir, uh, Pakistan to different parts of the UK between 1962 and 2002. And she is wanting to show the vast contribution of Muslim women and Pakistani women that have made to British society by collecting the testimonies of migrant and first generation women so they are no longer invisible. Now, what's interesting is the fact that earlier on with Musat, I actually mentioned um, research that um, which which was quite um, taken not very lightly regarding the fact that um, women that um, Muslim women or Pakistani women who have not been able to speak English uh, have not contributed to society. Whereas here we have um, Alina who's actually using um, that research to help uh, identify the real true contribution that um, women from the first generation have made in the UK. Now, I'd love you guys to kind of get involved and engage in this conversation. Maybe share your stories of um, your mother's stories on 07779481822 and, and whether you'd like to participate in um, this research that Alina is doing. So it's my absolute pleasure to invite Alina Din on the show this morning. Assalamu alaikum, Alina. Well, thank you for having me. You're so very welcome. And thank you so very much for joining the show this morning. Now, where where are you? Where am I ringing you from this morning? Because it was a mobile number. Where are you situated today? Yeah, I'm in I'm in Oxford at the moment in the middle of doing my PhD research. So quite far from home. But yeah, getting into the swing of things. Oh, bless you. And what's the weather like in Oxford? 
Um, horrific. It's not nice. I'm sat with a water bottle next to me. <laughs> a water bottle. It has got a little bit chilly. It really has. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got your water bottle out. So uh, that's that's a good start, I think. Uh, hopefully you won't be having to hold that too for too long. Now, thank you so thank you so very much for joining us. Um, and um, do you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to knock this a little bit uh, slightly and just ask folks listening in. Right. I am asking everybody the translation of certain words. Now, I did ask um, Mazar this morning what uh, her, inter- you know, what the Urdu word for watermelon is. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know the Urdu word for watermelon? Uh-huh. No, I don't. I don't think I do. So I'm going to really racking. I'm trying to think. I don't think I know. So I'm going to throw this over to um, listeners. Tell us what you think. Is she said it was Zarda? I don't think it is. Oh seven 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 nine four eight one eight two two. Or you might even want to share with us what you think the Urdu word for uh, water bottle might be. I don't know. Do you know, <laughs> Alina? <laughs> Don't know that one either. Oh, that's that's another show in itself. Now, Alina, thank you so very much for joining us this morning. As you've said, you're in Oxford at the moment, um, doing your research for your PhD, which is actually around the contribution of um, Pakistani uh, and Muslim women in British society, the first generation women, in order to make them no longer visible. Goodness me, what an, a fascinating piece of research. Tell us why you felt feel it's important to do this research. Um, well, being Pakistani and being a Muslim woman, I really recognized as I was getting older that these were stories that were not featuring in mainstream discourses. So in particular, I remember that really the thing that inspired my research was the case review that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was a statement that had created controversy, this idea that Pakistani women were the most economically inactive in the UK. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me because I remember growing up and seeing women working and contributing all the time, whether it be to the community through Islamic classes or running um, a cloth house or working in a grocery shop. These are things that women were doing. So I really understood that actually if these are the discourses that were dominating the mm-hmm. conversation surrounding Pakistani women mm-hmm. and Muslim women, Kashmiri women in particular, then someone needs to, I guess, step up and make sure that the, these discourses aren't driven by political agendas rather than the women themselves, giving them the platform to speak about their experiences. And the research just sort of um, grew from there, really. Now, the re- research didn't just begin here. It kind of began a little earlier on, I understand, um, whilst you were studying for your MA. And what was it about that MA? Was this at the University of Cambridge? Yeah, so I'd previously gone to Glasgow University and did a history degree there. And it was it's quite typical, you know, British history degree. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of world history, but mostly British history and a British history that isn't necessarily reflective of migrant groups. Um, so when it came to time, the, when it came to the time thinking about my future and maybe seeing academia as a path I wanted to take, I really wanted to make sure that I was doing research that I could, I would be proud to put my name to, mm. and that really meant digging deep because I had to really rethink and think about what were the parts of history that were missing. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time actually to get to this, and it took a lot of going back and really getting to the roots of things 
if women like me or my grandma or my mom aren't being represented in history, then it wasn't really, I, I felt a responsibility to mm-hmm. take it on myself, I guess. And, you know, it, it is a big challenge, but hopefully this will inspire a lot of other young historians mm-hmm. or women to, at the very basic, talk to their moms and grandmas and mm. aunties about their journey to the UK. Has it surprised you that there is um, not enough written or is this the first bit of research that's ever going to be written about this contribution? Because normally what we seem to be finding is a lot of um, research around um, oppression and Muslim women mm. or, you know, the hijab and um, the fact that this, that's suppressing Muslim women and they're not able to contribute mm. because, and, and Islamophobia is another thing. But this is kindly slightly different, this research. This is actually focusing on the actual contributions, the actual story. Yeah, and it shocked me a lot, actually. Um, there's this big thing in academia of making an original contribution and changing ideas. So the first thing I did, obviously, when I came up with this idea was, oh my God, this this is too good to be true. Like, Mm -hmm. it can't be that there hasn't been a collected history or an oral history project that looks at the lives of British Kashmiri women across the country. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's small pockets of this happening. So, Mm -hmm. for example, there's a an oral history project that took place in the 80s in Bradford, for example. Mm. But what about places where I grew up, like Middlesbrough or Oldham or even Luton? Like, where where are those stories coming from and what sort of history is being generated? Mm-hmm. And like you rightly pointed out, there is quite a distinctive type of scholarship being produced about Muslim or Kashmiri women um, that is by no means reflective of the vast, Uh, majority of people in our community or about the diversity in our community as well and I think what this is really a a symptom of is the idea of speaking of women rather than speaking to women Mm -hmm. and when you really take the time to speak to women and ask them about their um, settlement in the UK or you know their life being here and the incredible contributions and hardships that come with that journey you realize that the things that dominate the conversation uh, things to do with raising their children, mm-hmm. about making sure that there's enough money to have food on the table, mm-hmm. about the women that supported them in terms of facilitating that settlement. These are things that never really feature in the history of Muslim women in this country. Of course, and it's um, and it is being it's a tough journey that they had to make and adapt to society at that time when there was not much support network, um, and and obviously without the language skills when they arrived as well and having to communicate and navigate their way mm-hmm. around uh, British life. Um, what from your research to date? Have you found information that has kind of like surprised you or do you feel that you have the answers already? Oh my gosh, every single conversation manages to surprise me and I think that partly comes to the fact that, you know, I'm second generation. I think it's so easily forgotten sometimes Mm. just how difficult and how incredible it is to understand where women started and the journeys that they've made. So, like, one example I can tell you is um, when I was in Middlesbrough, I thought I knew the Middlesbrough community so well. I grew up, I knew everyone, but I realized very, very quickly, speaking on language, every woman I spoke to had participated in English language Mm -hmm. education Mm -hmm. at some point in their their lives in the UK. 
And that blew my mind because it tells you so much about this community of women that when their kids were at school um, and they they had the choice to make about what to do with their time, they decided to educate themselves mm-hmm. and learn English. Mm-hmm. And that that is such an incredible fact that has not been explored yet, this idea of adult education, but adult education and the access of it by migrant women. Mm. And it's something that I guess has spawned another strand of research that I'm really excited to explore further by going to Luton or Oldham or other parts of the UK to see how that transpired there as well. Now, you've mentioned Luton. Um, mm-hmm. uh, um, are you actually wanting to do research in this town? Yeah, I want to come. I want to speak to people. I want to speak to women who came between 1962 and 2002 from Azad Kashmir and, you know, women who came here as children or grew up here in their 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, I want to be able to accurately reflect life in Newton for British Kashmiri women. And this means, first and foremost, collecting their testimony and, you know, making sure that their stories aren't forgotten with time, that Mm -hmm. there's they're recorded and that there will always be a place for them in the history books. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's the biggest priority of all this is ensuring the well-being of these women. Mm. I completely understand that when it comes to academia and scholarship to do with Muslim women, there is such a, an emphasis on oppression and victimhood that mm. that I completely understand that there is some reluctance for women to participate in this kind of research. but nothing will be published that won't be approved by women first. They will get first there and everything I write will stem and be directed by the conversations that we have. Now, is testimony, testimony is what you're wanting. Could you just explain what that is? Yeah, so it's, um, it's I think it, it should be really important to preface this with um, the fact that there is an incredibly rigorous um, approval of getting this project going. So there is a lot of concern about the well-being of participants in any oral history project, mm-hmm. including this one. So what it will entail is me visiting women or women, you know, us meeting in like public spaces as in on an individual basis or as a group to talk about their memories of coming here. Mm. Um, bringing up certain topics and seeing what kind of conversations are elicited from that. And, you know, these will be anonymized for the safety of the women so that they're not personally identified. Right. But everything written there will be things that come from our conversations, um, everything from things to do with marriage and children to community to, and I, I think most importantly, the different types of work women did, mm-hmm. the activities mm-hmm. that dominated their every day. So how can people get in contact with you if they want to get involved? And does it have to be in English? Could it be in Urdu, Punjabi, Patwari, whatever language that the women yeah. speak? I think that's the most important thing. And I think this is why this research has taken taken a long time to come to fruition. Um, I can speak in Urdu, Punjabi, Patwari, English, whatever women feel most comfortable speaking. And um, if anyone wants to get involved, my email is alina.din at hotmail.co.uk. Um, and just drop me a line and I'd mm-hmm. be so happy to answer any questions or any concerns and queries and, mm-hmm. you know, really get this project in Luton um, going so that there is a history of Kashmiri women in Luton 
that um, can sit in the Oxford Library for the rest of time. <laughs> wow. To sit in the Oxford Library, one of the leading universities in the world, and to be archived there. I mean, it can't be more tremendous than that. Now, Alina, um, you're somebody that can speak four different uh, languages. Um, there's been re- research uh, suggesting that, you know, children that speak as, uh, as English is not their first language do not go on to achieve. Clearly, you have really achieved. You've gone on to do a PhD in history. Uh, you're doing a PhD in history at University of Oxford. Um, you studied at the University of Cambridge um, and you, you're in, you have an undergraduate degree in history and politics from the University of Glasgow. Congratulations, my dear. That's absolutely you. phenomenal. So you make us very proud um, and you make Thank me very you. proud reading this. But I want to take a step back, my darling. Tell me about mm-hmm. your mum and your grandmother. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, the most incredible women. And they are really, I guess, if I look at the genesis of this research, it was having conversations with them. Um, My grandma came to this country in the late 60s, um, not knowing a word of English. And yet, you know, is such a respected member of our community as someone who taught the Quran for 20 or 30 years. So many kids, every time we go out... (laughs) People coming up to her, remembering that time, her teaching them in, their li- in mm, her living room. Mm. Um, and then my mom, she came to this country so young and, you know, had me when she was 19. And, you know, we've sort of gone in this journey together of trying to <laughs> figure it out. You know, it, going to university and choosing academia as a path is not necessarily as common as it should be in our community and I really I really encourage as many women listening to this as possible to consider it and you know if they have any questions to reach out to me but I really owe it to my mom and grandma in particular for leading the way and encouraging learning in its different forms. Learning in its different forms and the fact is English wasn't their first language they learned at a later stage but that did not stop you from achieving so this clearly proves that you know um, children whose English is not um, their first language can go on and achieve so many tremendous things and we've seen examples of that now I want to ask you um, Alina what are you hoping will be achieved from this research that you're doing I mean the very basic thing of um empowering women to tell their stories first and foremost mm-hmm. i think there's a real and i've noticed this from interviewing people a lack of confidence in believing that their story matters mm-hmm. so if at the on a very basic level i you know maybe encourage women to speak a bit more of you know some of the great memories that they have but also some of the difficult ones that i've, I've really achieved my goal mm-hmm. um, but in a practical sense when it comes to shaping policy mm-hmm. to do with uh, the British Muslim community, the British Pakistan community um, in this country, if that community is not understood and its history is not understood, then policy will never, ever be able to serve this community well. Mm-hmm. It will always do this, a similar thing that it, was all, it has always done, which is use stereotypes or you know popular discourses that aren't rooted in fact as a way to inform the type of policies that Mm. are seemingly needed for our community. I think having a history um, that is full and complete and is um, one that uh, reflects a a significant uh, proportion of 
British Kashmiri society, then hopefully when it comes to the future, there will be something that people can point at in terms of um, a, a collection of testimony or history that can inform policy in the future. Inshallah. Now, you're 24 years of age and you're actually doing mm. a PhD um, at the University of Oxford. We normally associate PhDs with, say, sort of the 40-somethings or the late 30s or 50-somethings. Yeah. <laughs> um, what made you decide to do a PhD and so very young as well? Um, it was, I mean, I, I'd like to say that the grand plan, but it really did happen quite by accident. And it was, I mean, I really, really can't emphasize enough how much I owe to my parents and family members for, you know, allowing me to sort of go where curios- curiosity led me. Um, doing the PhD, I guess, was born out of the fact that when I was doing my master's research, I sort of realized that there's so much more left. Like nine months of research will never, ever be able to tell um, a fuller story. Mm. Um, so everyone else in my class was <laughs> doing PhD applications. It was something that I never really considered. Mm. So really because of everyone else doing it, I was like, okay, it's not going to hurt me putting in an application. And I really understood that, you know, getting P- doing a PhD or getting an offer is one thing, but getting the funding to do a PhD is a completely different thing. And I really needed other people and people at Oxford to um, see the value in the research that I was doing. And very, very luckily, um, the Arts and Humanities Research Council and my college here, Build Your College, saw the value of this research mm. and put the money forward and invested wow. um, invested money into this project. And that is really a boost of confidence that they will, they're willing to invest in a project to do with British Kashmiri women. They see the value in there. How remarkable. Um, and thank you uh, for doing it. And I think it's what's really wonderful is the fact that your heritage is Kashmiri as well. So the fact that you are the right person to kind of move forward with this research, um, inshallah. So do tell us once again, Alina, how can people get in contact with you um, to get involved with this research that you're wanting to do in Luton? Yeah, um, if you email me at alina.din at hotmail.co.uk or even put into Google Alina Din Oxford, uh, there'll be information that comes up in all the different ways that you can get in contact with me. And I'll be more than happy to get back in touch and arrange a meeting so we can chat. (laughs) Fantastic. Now, um, last week was International um, Girl Child Day. And I just wanted to ask you um, from the experiences that you have, is there any advice or tips you'd like to give to young women or parents listening into the show today and encouraging their daughters to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is such an important lesson in understanding that we as women should feel empowered to follow the things that genuinely interest us. And it, it, it seems quite frivolous to say, but the idea of like wanting to pursue history, for example, is genuinely born out of an interest that I've, I've, I've had all my life. Yeah, And it's not and a I common really subject to... for a Pakistani or Kashmiri Muslim woman. It isn't. And I think there's a stigma of, okay, if mm-hmm. doing history or doing a humanity subject means you won't make enough money. But mm-hmm. if money is the thing that's going to motivate you mm-hmm. in terms of your life choices, I've seen it time and again, it won't lead to you having a sense of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to education in particular, to parents, like please allow your children to follow their curiosity. Mm-hmm. And 
academia is such a fulfilling and important path that women can take um, that I've seen, I'm, I'm also lucky to be here at Oxford and seeing so many um, Muslim women undergraduates in the history department. Wow. And now it's time to push this forward and make sure that there are more Muslim women doing um, PhDs and master's mm-hmm. degrees in mm-hmm. humanities subjects and really making a contribution. So to women listening, just follow what interests you the most and keep on going. Don't let anyone stop you and especially don't let a man stop you. That's what my dad always told me. <laughs> and your father is no other than the very well-known playwright Ishi Din, who uh, spoke about you when we interviewed him on the show. Now, thank you so very much, um, Alina, for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute tremendous conversation thank that we've you. had. And thank you for the amazing work that you do. Have a wonderful day studying today at Oxford. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll give you a water bottle a hug from me. <laughs> take care, my yes, dear. I will. Thank you. Bye. Well, take care. That was the wonderful Alina Din, who's doing a PhD Um, uh, at the University of Oxford and she is focusing on first generation women testimonies of migrant women um, in British society from Azad Kashmir we'll talk a little bit more about that after the break I'm joined by another remarkable woman by the name of Safina Khan straight off this Asalaamu Alaikum You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. How are you this morning, folks? Uh, do tell me what you're up to. I hope you've had a fantastic weekend and a brilliant start to the week, as always. Yes, the weather has uh, got a little bit cold. Um, we were speaking to the very fabulous Alina Din. Uh, just before the break and she'd actually got a water bottle out um, to keep her warm in Oxford while she's doing her research and her research is something to shout loud and proud about actually. She's a PhD history student at the University of Oxford and she is, she'd actually originally studied at the University of Cambridge um, and also an, she has an undergraduate degree in history and politics from the University of Glasgow. Now, the reason for her interview was the fact that she was helping to highlight the significant contribution of Pakistani women, Kashmiri women, Muslim women, um, the first generation in the communities of Britain between 1962 and 2000. And what she wanted to highlight was their vast contribution to British society by collecting the testimony of migrant and first generation women so that they are no longer invisible. This is on the back of some social policy reports or reports that had suggested that Pakistani women or Muslim women, because they don't speak English, were not sufficiently contributing to the economy. Now, Partially, there may be some truth in that, but clearly there's obviously lots of case studies where Muslim women, Pakistani women who who may not be speaking English as their first language or may not have the language skills have really, really contributed to society. Um, and she was given examples of her own grandmother. So um, if you'd like to get involved with that research, which I hope you will do, because she is coming to Luton and she does want to kind of share archive 
um, your stories um, so that they are sitting nicely in the library of Oxford University. Um, Where else, you know, would you want to have your stories archived? The Kashmiri women, the Pakistani women of this town of Luton being archived, their stories being shared. Now, if you'd like to get involved with Alina's research, then please do get in touch with her. It's Alina, that's A-L-E-N-E, sorry, A-L-E-E-N-A dot din at hotmail dot co dot UK. So this is the research that she's doing on the testimonies of migrant first generation women so that they are no longer invisible. Um, It's an oral history project and she's doing a PhD in history at University of Oxford. That is Alina Din, an absolute pleasure speaking to her. Today's show is about empowerment. Um, We are marking International Girl Child Day. I've had the absolute pleasure of speaking to some remarkable women earlier on in the show who've really made their mark in the world of um, coaching, writing books, television, research, um, and it doesn't stop there. And both of these women I've spoken to, English was their second um, language, interesting enough. Now, another remarkable woman who's joining me on the show is, oh my goodness, um, I need, uh, you know, uh, two mics to announce her. She is not only an advanced aesthetics practitioner, she runs her own business. She runs her own state-of-the-art clinic. She's a qualified cardiology nurse. She's a blogger, makeup artist, a very successful entrepreneur with lots of brands under her name. And believe it or not, she's a mother of five. And I believe she can speak four languages. It is no other than Safina Khan. Assalamu alaikum, Safina. Wa alaikum salam. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> you totally deserve it. Now, you're speaking to me all the way from Birmingham this morning. Um, how is the weather, my dear? I've got to ask that question. The weather is a bit grey, uh-huh. but uh, it's not too bad. It's dry. That's the main thing. And you're the perfect person to keep everybody healthy, happy and warm, not just in the work that you do, but also the fact that you're a cardi, you know, cardiac nurse. Mashallah, mashallah. How have you been able to manage five children and the amazing work that you do? And you're only 33. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think it's just purely based on, you know, organising my time. I, mm. I'm really hot on organisation at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, juggling everything. I've always been a multitasker. I've always loved to juggle things. And I think I just can't sit, sit still as much as I'd like to try. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Mashallah. Energy. I don't know, Safina, if you were listening in to um, me just beginning of the show when we talked about Alina Din and doing this research or um, and finding the testimonies of migrant and first generation women um, and their contributions to society. Can you relate to that? Can, does this relate to your story and your mum's story? Um, it kind of does relate. I mean, my mum was born here. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a case of, I think, I think it's about, you know, the upbringing and where you're born and, you know, the, the cultural surroundings and whatnot and how that has an impact on, on life. Mm. So mum being born here was quite a bonus, but, mm. you know, on the flip side, my mother-in-law's not from here, she's from Pakistan, mm-hmm. um, from Lahore. So there is a huge difference in terms of, you know, growing up, the cultural mm. background. Um, my mom, she went to uni, she, ed- she got educated. Mashallah. And she does all that alongside having a four at the time. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we get a lot of our work, I think, from mom and dad because dad 
likewise, even though he didn't go to university or get educated mm-hmm. or anything like that, he worked really, really hard to make sure that, you know, everything was paid for and done and in order to put mom to do her education as well. So you had quite a strong unit there with a very, you know, um, strong parents, Marshall, who were passionate about education. Now, interestingly enough, um, you actually got married quite young um, and um, and you were able to still, whilst getting married, still continue your ed- education as well. Yeah. Um, so I was 18 when Aleem and I got married. I was 18 and he was 20. And I was meant to go to uni to... Um, complete my medical degree um but yeah Aleem and I Aleem and I decided to get married because you know we were young and in love and it was the right thing to do um rather than live in sin should we say islamically speaking so um yeah we just we just took the plunge and we got married and dad probably wasn't too happy at the time purely because he wanted me to get educated mm-hmm. but um alhamdulillah we managed to still do it um even though I fell pregnant straight away with um, Issa. Um, we did plan on having Issa, but then we had Ismail and Usman pretty much straight mashallah, away. Mashallah, mashallah. Uh, so three, three babies, and then um, I went back to uni. Wow. And I did my nursing degree then. Um, it was good, though. It, you know, at the end of the day, it helped us mature and just mm-hmm. grow up and mm-hmm. just go along with responsibility and mm-hmm. take... I, I'm. I, I just like to take everything as it comes. I do like to plan ahead, but Mm. we are quite spontaneous as well Mm. at the same time. Now, this is interesting that you decided to do your education as a mother and as a a married woman with three children. And so what advice could you give to listeners who are basically maybe wanting to go to university after they've got married um, and might think, gosh, is, is is that suitable? Can I do it? And they've got young children as well, because we're seeing a growing number of women going into education with children. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, don't get me wrong. It just depends on how how driven you are as a person as well. Um, it's not it's not something easy to do. It is something where you need to be in a really um, mature mindset mm-hmm. um, and have a lot of drive and a lot of passion for whatever it is you choose to do. But it's definitely doable. Um, you know, I've I've seen so many other mothers go to university after having children and after getting married, mm-hmm. and they are able to do it. I mean, typically it's probably it's probably ideal to get your education done first and mm-hmm. then go into marriage, but at the end of the day, I think God of Allah, everyone's everyone's God is written, mm-hmm. and if you if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But that that doesn't hold you back from creating a life for yourself, um, because it, it's not only going to help you; it's going to help your spouse, it's going to help your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, until in, in the future, if you choose to have kids, and or if you already have kids and you go to university, it's going to give them something to look up to. Say, um, you know, my mom's such and such, and my dad's such and such, and. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just gives them that, you, you're that role model for them and it's a case of... And you've mentioned that your husband, mashallah, you work together to create, um, you know, the support network for your children as well. You and, and he supports your work and everything that you're doing? Yeah, he does. He's really good, alhamdulillah. I mean, he's, um, he's a gas engineer by trade. He didn't go to university. It wasn't for him. Mm-hmm. And fair enough, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, he's, he supported me in everything I chose to do. Um, I chose to 
go to university to do my nursing degree um, because medicine would have been too difficult with the children. Right. Um, it would have been doable, but I didn't want to neglect the children. Of course. You know, working a 60, 70-hour week mm. um, as well as running around with the kids. So university was so close to home. Mm. It just made sense to go ahead and, and do this. So he was really supportive. And, and that's when I started my makeup artist career as well. And um, again, you know, I had clients coming to the house. I would go out early in the morning for brides or party makeups and whatnot. And he would help out with the kids. His family would help, which was nice. It was good. Wow. Um, And you began your makeup artistry career, blogging career, prior to like the social media um, burst that we see now. Um, How did you, I mean, this fascinates me from nursing to makeup artistry. How how did that even come about? <laughs> so it's a funny one because um, I've always had um, anything medical or health related. That was always my passion. Mm. Um, but I grew up as quite a tomboy. Right. Which is quite bizarre that I wanted to make up. Um, my mum was an Avon rep when we were ah, younger. <laughs> that was the thing then. Oh, my gosh. That was the thing. <laughs> mom, mom Celebrity. Yeah, literally, like, she'd come home with her briefcase full of Avon makeup. Oh, wow. And me and my sister, we'd just, we'd, like, steal her little briefcase and go into our room and do each other's makeup. So, Did you sit there hours and hours looking through each of the samples? And I used to do that. I really did. My favourite was, you know, them tiny little mini um, lipstick samples. They're really, really small with the glass little head, plastic little head. Those were my favourite. And there were so many of them as well. And they're all neatly lined up. And it was just like sweet. I always wanted to be one of their reps when I grew up. I'm still waiting to be. (laughs) Yeah, Avon. I can't believe it's still going to be there. You know, there are other brands out there. We are not brand endorsing here. But you are are a brand in itself, Safina. Mashallah. You've got, you know, you've set up um, a, a makeup brand. I mean, you've got Lash product that um you've been uh, you're successful in launching you're also a trained uh, makeup uh, trainee as well you've got your own academy what is there that you cannot do because you're looking internally and externally you are kind of um, ticking the boxes but i want to ask you this drive with the makeup industry um yeah. is the bubble going to burst um for myself just generally because it's just, just is it is at this peak it's really kind of like you know there is and it is very saturated and everybody is becoming a makeup artist yes. i mean but i think as as the population grows and trends increase and you know it, it's the case of because we can't always have it, five say makeup artists in west midlands mm, okay all of the west midlands mm-hmm. because it people would never be able to book them due to availability and whatnot. So right. there is always going to be a need for makeup artists. Mm-hmm. Um, Birmingham is very saturated with makeup artists, right. but they've all got work, alhamdulillah. Wow. So it, it is a case of it, it will always be there. Before, it was just the brides that would right. you know, get rolled up for their functions. But uh-huh. now, everyone does it, whether it's a party, a okay. birthday party, a graduation, a prom. It doesn't have to just be a bride on a wedding now. People mm-hmm. want to get their makeup done regardless. Mm. Bless you. Now, I want to ask you about um, internal beauty um, 
as mm-hmm. well, because you sound like somebody who, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a mother, um, you're a successful businesswoman, and you're academic too. You seem to tick every box. And mashallah, um, internal beauty, what does that actually also mean to you, apart from external beauty? I think that's everything. I think that's priority. I mean, in terms of internally, how we think, how we feel, how we perceive things is the most important thing. Um, externally, you can be the most beautiful person, you know, amazing features, um, make one point, you know, fashionably on trend and whatnot. Mm. But, you know, I don't know how to say this lightly, so I'm just going to say it as it is. If you are not a nice person or if you are not an honest person or, you know, an ethical person, it will show and it show and, and people perceive it. Um, it, it, it does always show and I just feel like it's really important to, you know, have that, you love yourself internally in terms of just have that, you know, self-esteem, mm. confidence, you know, everybody has flaws, that's okay. And it's just about bettering ourselves. Mm. Everybody will have something more than, more than what others would have. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's about, it's about congratulating others, but also congratulating yourself. It's, it's fine that somebody mm. may have something more than you or whatnot. Mm. Mm. And, you know, we are taught to we are taught to appreciate that and just say Alhamdulillah for everything we have and, you know, may Allah bless them and may Allah also bless myself as well. So it's just, you know, we live in a society where jealousy and hassad and all these things are very, very common. And it's just a case of just remembering, you know, be grateful for everything we have and just I'm all about honesty and integrity. And that's, for me, those are the most important qualities of any person. Mm. Those who know me very well know how much I love honesty. And I think honesty speaks so much more than any quality because it just, it just, um, it allows you to build trust with people. And trust is very important in building relationships. Mm. And especially the industry that you're in, too, because, you know, you've you've got people's faces in your hand um, and they rely on you. You talk a lot about faith here, you know, and, and, and being and graciously put as well and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How does faith play a part in your life? So um, faith is very important. Um, in terms of we were brought up, um, I went to an Islamic school um, from year five up until uh, sec- end of secondary. Um, so faith was really um, instilled in us in terms of, you know, we didn't have to go overboard and go too deep. But the main thing was we were doing our fundamentals in terms of praying five times a day, fasting, being honest and just, you know, being good people. Mm-hmm. Um, mom, my mom's a theologian, so she studied um, Islamic studies up to uh, PhD level. Subhanallah! So she wow. Really, she really like taught us a lot as well. And dad, um, dad in the last I'd say eight to nine years has really developed um, his Islamic character. Mm-hmm. He was he was fine before, he was brilliant before, but he really took his time out to spend that time in masjid and learn how to read the Quran with the Jweed and mm-hmm. start memorizing mm-hmm. and, you know, learning all of the um, ayahs with their meaning as well. So if we have a conversation now, Dad can easily pick out an ayah wow. from the Quran, which wow. is um, suitable to the situation. So Alhamdulillah, we've always had that instilled in us. And so you've, mashallah, so you've been able to balance that in your life and your, with your prayers and your work. And do you think that's kind of given you a real holistic overview of everything that you do? Um, 
I want to ask you an interesting question. Now, I'm re- okay. you, you mentioned your dad and going to masjid. Now, is this yeah. how your father saw your husband? <laughs> okay, so yeah, dad um dad did recognize when 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 I spoke to dad and I mentioned to him that I want to get married. Dad said, "Okay, um give me his telephone number or give him my number." So they got in contact with each other and they had a, they had a a date set to come to the house. So when my father-in-law, my husband, and his brothers came to the house and their mom, my dad instantly recognized them from uh, a local central mosque in Birmingham. Right. And that for him was um, really uh, reassuring because he felt like, you know, um, a person who prays and who has the, the, you know, the routine and the discipline in their life of praying and, you know, doing at least their fundamentals, that's, that's a good thing that that just shows that, you know, they're, they're trying at least, they're on, they're on some sort of a journey, spiritual journey, and, you know, inshallah, they'll be God-fearing as well, because that's what you all want for our daughters, to marry someone who's God-fearing and who practices and who are just good people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, dad was really happy about that. He, he recognized them from the masjid, and they also recognized dad, and it all, it all went really well, alhamdulillah. It, you know, it couldn't have gone better, to be fair. Mashallah. So any brothers out there right now, make sure you're going to Jummah, going to Masjid, because your potential father-in-law is sat there observing you. <laughs> yeah, and that's definitely. a great start. What a fantastic story. That really made me, that really, that was lovely to hear. Now, um, folks, if you're listening into the show, you are listening to me, Shmaizi, on the Urban Cube on Inspire FM. I'm joined by no other than Safina Khan, who's taken time out from her busy schedule because she She's actually um, working at the moment at um, as an advanced aesthetics practitioner um, in her own state-of-the-art clinic. Now, she's also a qualified cardiology nurse. She's a blogger, makeup artist, successful entrepreneur, mother of five people, mother of five. Just take note of that. Now, what's interesting, Safina, is like you normally you, you told me that that's how people recognize you. Mother of five. Forget everything else. Mother of five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, Sabina, yeah, you've got five kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> and, um, uh, but it's interesting, isn't it? You can achieve as much as you possibly want, but um, the fact that you have five children is what stands out more. Why is that, Safina? Why is it that people kind of get quite, um, um, j- their jaws drop when they see you? Because, Marshall, you've really maintained yourself and, and successful in the industry that you're in as well. How have you been able to have that balance? I think it's just it's just purely down to um, for me my motto is option is not a failure mm-hmm. so failure is not an option I can't even think straight um, so failure is not an option and I've taught my kids that as well okay. so if I want to set a task if there's anything that I'm thinking right okay I need to do this I I have to do it it it's just a case of it can't be lip service it has mm. to be followed with action wow. it has to be like executed wow. and done ticked mm. off. So that was, you know, from everything down to from starting my career as a nurse, as a makeup artist, up to doing the academy, you know, going into aesthetics, creating the makeup line, um, the brushes, the lashes, whatnot. And then we've got some more plans ahead, inshallah. So, yeah, there will be some more things to come. Goodness me, that's like a little empire. And I understand you're opening eight other clinics. Now, um, for anybody who's not familiar with advanced aesthetics practitioning, um, what does that actually mean? So aesthetics is, the word aesthetics is just about um, how things look. Um, so we do medical and aesthetics um, at, at the clinic. So in terms of aesthetics work, you have things like laser hair removal, dermal fillers, Botox, okay. fat dissolving injections, you know, um, skin peels for pigmentation, 
um, everything and anything you can think of. Then mm-hmm. we do the medical side of things and the mm-hmm. holistic side of things, which is um, sport therapy, um, rehabilitation for athletes, injuries, wow. um, hydrocolonic therapies. Um, uh, we treat acne, um, rosacea, melasma, all these type of things. So the, the list is endless. It's quite, quite an in- intense process that you you know lots of lots of treatments there we have uh, yeah we've trained thoroughly myself and the staff have to make sure that we can just deliver everything safely effectively everyone's all registered professionals so you know they're in safe hands as well as well. so that's the main thing now on today's show we've been talking about international girl child day and this was marked last um week i want to ask you safina what what does a day like that mean? You're a mother of one daughter, you've got, mashallah, four sons, um, and you're successful in your own right. What advice would you give maybe to your younger self or to listeners listening in? Um, daughters are everything, literally everything. I waited 14 years, um, five pregnancies for my daughter. Um, alhamdulillah, she came. I prayed long and hard for her. And you know, love your daughters, treat them with so much love and affection, but also, you know, have your boundaries with them. So it's a case of just having a really nice balance with them. Be their mm. friend, be mm. their mother, be their father, you know, be everything to them so that they feel that they can turn to you rather than turn anywhere else. Because they, our daughters will get to a point in life where they are going to be exposed to the world Mm. and the last thing you'd want is for your daughter to be vulnerable because Mm. she's at risk of being exploited right so it's really really important to um keep your daughter's self-esteem and confidence self-confidence that she loves herself and she knows she's got a good family support network around her so that she can just you know she can she can have an amazing life and mashallah yeah just be loved and respected and it's mutual with with your sons as well Mm, mm, definitely communication is key here Um, and communicating in different languages we're also talking about mother tongue do your children speak because you're Afghan and your husband's from Lahore I understand yeah Um, so yeah I can't even speak Pashto myself which is such a shame (laughs) so what language are the children speaking is it English or Unfortunately, it is, yeah. But I have um, said to the boys, um, they're in high school now, I have asked them to complete a GCSE in Urdu, okay. which will really help them at least have um, one one language which can be kind of used. You know, at least if they know Urdu, all the other dialects are from Urdu, so, so they will kind of have an understanding. So hopefully, inshallah, um, I do want them speaking Urdu and possibly Arabic as well. Fantastic. Now, last question. What sure. do you know the or the word for watermelon? Uh, hey, yes, she got it right, people. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can fully speak Urdu. I sat a GCSE in school, so I check I'm, you I'm, out. I'm read, write, uh, speak Urdu completely Gosh. fine. It's just, Pushto, it's just Pushto, and I really wish dad taught me the language. Oh. Bless you. Thank you so very much, Safina, for um, joining us. I'm going to have to say alvida. Have a beautiful day um, and have a tarbuza on me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love the rules. That's great. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. That was the absolutely awesome Safina uh, Khan. Safina, artistry, magnificent woman, wasn't she? Um, join me straight after the break where I'm joined by another absolutely awesome guest, no other than Temur Rahman. Assalamu alaikum. This is... 
is Inspire FM with you 24 hours a day. Inspire. Catch a creative vibe on the Urban Cube with Sister Shamiza. Good morning and assalamu alaikum. It's it's 11.30 exactly, Monday 14th of October and we're on the final half an hour of the Urban Cube show with me, Shamiza, on Inspire FM 105.1 FM. Now, if you've missed any of the conversations with our fantastic guests this morning, all the way from London, Oxford and Birmingham, um, you can catch the repeat at 8pm this evening. Today's show has been a real celebration of language and empowerment of language. It's been a tremendous pleasure speaking to some phenomenal guests, um, sharing their journey um, where language hasn't been a hindrance, even if um, English has been their second language. It has has enabled them to be the success stories that they are from being a successful author and television presenter going on to studying a PhD research at Oxford University running a successful clinic um, being a cardiac um, nurse being a mother of five children and a successful blogger, these three women have been a real celebration of the fact that language, um, even though their English wasn't their first language, they were taught their mother tongue. They've gone on to achieve tremendous things. It's been an absolute pleasure having uh, Masarat Alahi, uh, Alina Din and Safina Safina Khan on the show this morning and they really helped me celebrate International Girl Child Day as well. But it doesn't stop there guys because I'm joined by another absolutely phenomenal guest who's going to be talking to us in depth about the lost art form of the Urdu language. Yes, believe it or not guys, we might be talking about encouraging the language in our homes but actually interestingly it seems to be even a lost art form in Pakistan. Mm, I find that really, really intriguing. But we will hear a lot more um, in depth by this remarkable gentleman who's joining us on the show this morning. And um, his name is no other than Tehmur Rahman. Dehmoor is also known as Ghassid. Now, he is an internationally celebrated Urdu literature, poetry narrator and writer from Pakistan who's reviving the lost art form of the Urdu language. Now, he made his first public appearance way back in 2012. Since then, Dehmoor has performed at the South Asian Literature Festival in London, the Fairs International Festival, University College London, Oxford University, Bradford University. He's even been performing at five five TEDx events, Islamabad Literature Festival, the Children Literature Festival, and many others, even the Jashne Urdu in Dubai. In his own words, my day job is for eight hours, but Urdu is an addiction 24-7. And believe it or not, guys, Demur also holds the honour of being endorsed by the legendary Oscar winner lyricist Gulzar for his work. Apart from narrating poetry and prose written by others, Demur writes as well, and not to forget, has a passion for composing and singing poetry. Now, it doesn't just stop there, guys. He's also a creative that's actually taken the actual art form of poetry and placed it on fabric as a jadar called or- uh, an orni. You want to hear more? 
So I, so do I. It's no other than Temur Rahman on the line this morning. Assalamu alaikum, Temur. Walaikum assalam, Samantha. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. And we've been having a bit of a giggle on the show this morning because we've been asking people to give us their translation for the Urdu version of the fruit watermelon. I want to ask you, how in tune are you with your fruit? And um, what what's the translation for watermelon? Oh, uh, for, for watermelon, it's tarbuz. Ah, and you said it with the correct pronunciation as well. That's awesome. Um, thank you so very much for joining us this morning. Um, and I believe that we're speaking to you all the way from London. Yes, absolutely. And thank you very much for having me over the show. You're very... It's an absolute delight to be here. Bless you. So we're not speaking to you from Pakistan. It is actually in London. What's the weather like in London this morning? Oh, it's it's pretty gloomy. It's it's uh, been you know uh, a bit cold and windy and, and slight uh, rain since this morning. Yeah. Now, it, okay. is it the perfect setting for some shahiri? Uh, it is actually yes. For me, it's this is the perfect weather to write something. And writing is definitely a passion of yours, which I've been able to share with our listeners. So it's absolutely tremendous that you're on the show. And I'm somebody that at, at a later stage of my life, I've been really kind of navigating and been drawn to the poetry of um, people like Fares Ahmed Fares as one um, and Ghalib as another and kind of really understanding the beautiful poetry and the words. Um, but that's come with a little bit of maturity. Now, you're somebody that's kind of in the heart of these beautiful, this beautiful poetry. But it's interesting that um, in your bio, we talk about it as being a lost art form. And that surprises me, especially that you've come from Pakistan. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't get to that. So the fact that uh, Urdu is being a, considered a lost art form in Pakistan. That's right. And how yeah. how have you been able to kind of conclude that? What is it that's happening in Pakistan that we're not um, celebrating the Urdu language as much? Well, to be honest with you, Shemaiva, um, in Pakistan, in this very moment, um, I love foremost, I, you know, I just say this very, what uh, uh, out there, that I love all the languages, and I have nothing against any language in the world. Um, in Pakistan, I think English is taken over because it is uh, it has now been, you know, uh, understood that English is the language mm -hmm. in order to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that is right if you really want to compete with the West, and if you really want to, if not only compete, if you really want to, you know, stand beside the West, you need to understand that language. Mm -hmm. But I've realized over the last few years uh, that even, you know, if you do not um, own your own language, people don't even listen to you. Uh, you, you know, you really have to own your own language. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Pakistan, people are actually getting away from Urdu. So my job is to actually reconnect uh, the youth, uh, the children, mm -hmm. um, and you know, uh, connect them with the language. And it's so difficult, it's such a task to actually start giving books to people because the, the concept of reading is no more there. Oh wow! So I thought, you know, why rather than giving books to people because they don't have time or mm -hmm. they don't have the uh, acumen towards book reading. Uh, you know, why shouldn't I start reading something from the book and if it sounds pleasing to the ears, then they might come to the books and they might return to books. That is such a wonderful way of enticing people to kind of pick up a book. I, I never thought of it like that. And have you been quite successful in doing so? So far, yes. Um, I think God's been really kind. Um, 
everywhere that I performed at the end of my sessions, you know, three or four, five, six boys and girls, you know, boys and girls will come to me and they'll ask me, you know, where, where, which book should we pick up? Uh, we really want to connect. We really want to read. Uh, we never knew who was so, uh, you know, so, so rich. Mm. And I really, what I do is that I pick up easy open. Mm-hmm. I do not start with Ghalib. I don't start, start with Iqbal. So I, I read, you know, something which is really understandable, mm-hmm. something which is, you know, spoken uh, in your daily routine. Um, and for that, I pick up Ibn Insha, I pick up Mushtaqim uh, and Yusufi, and I pick up numerous pieces because, mm-hmm. you know, something which people enjoy. And laughter, they stay with you for a long time. Yes. So that is how I address the whole issue. Now, as a narrator um, and a writer, then I'm assuming that you're also narrating your own writing, apart from... Yes, I do. And, um, and where did this desire to write the poetry actually come from? Uh, you know, I, I, um, in order to write, I think the, fourth, the first step is to read. Mm-hmm. I've read so much. I've read so many poets, I've read so much of literature. And then, you know, um, I happen to be a very emotional and a very sensitive person. I, I, things which happen around me, they affect me. And uh, that's how, you know, just one fine morning, uh, I just wanted to write something. I just wrote it, you know, fine-tuned it. Um, and that's, that's how it all began, to be honest with you. It wasn't a very considered effort that I had to write. Mm-hmm. I felt like writing, and I picked, you know, picked up the pen and picked up a piece of paper and started writing. And since then, there's no looking back. Now, looking back is something you've not had to done. You you do. You've been performing across the world, mashallah, and, and international, internationally as well as nationally in the UK as well. Some very established um, festivals. What has the experience been like with the different audiences in senses? Like you know, how has the Pakistani audience? Um, received you in comparison to say the British Pakistani audience here? I tell you there's this massive appetite for Urdu poetry and literature in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. And uh, not only British Pakistanis, but I've I've seen British Asians connecting to the language. Right. And um, to my to my surprise when I was uh, performing in Oxford University, the first row had about, you know, seven, eight uh, Britishers uh, or of I would say um, white uh, mm-hmm. community who mm-hmm. did not understand or do at all, but mm-hmm. they were there. And at the end of the session, they just came to me and said, you know, we had absolutely no idea what you've been talking about. <laughs> but whatever you've said, it made sense. It was really poetic. There is... I really want to know that what you've been saying. And do you translate and the poems to the, for the listeners um, who don't usually speak? Usually I don't. Right. Usually I don't. Because I think you know, once you go to translations, mm. the essence of that writing actually uh, it, it, it reduces, mm-hmm. um, and you know every every poem has its own um, its, its own nature, its own uh, taste. So mm-hmm. translating is basically at times it gets difficult. I think we're losing you a little bit. You may have to speak. A, come a bit closer um, to your phone, or speak a little louder, please. Thank you, Demo. Can you hear me? Oh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, you're nice and clear now. Thank you. Perfect. So, yes, um, I've loved performing for the British Asian community here. And uh, they've always loved it. They've, um, you know, uh, they've 
and I've, I've got my Facebook page and I get some messages that we have every now and then. Will I be coming to England again? When is performing? We really want to come and attend your event. So yeah, I think that's wonderful. Now, you're known as Garcid and you've got your social media handle um, on Instagram and Facebook are what as follows. Do share with us, Demur. How can people follow you? Oh, well, uh, my, my Facebook is um, com slash Kassid official, which is Q-A-S-I-D official. Mm-hmm. And the word Kassid means, um, the literal meaning of Kassid is messenger. Mm. And my job is to actually bring poetry and literature to people. Mm-hmm. So I'm basically just uh, playing a role of a messenger, you know. Um, and my Instagram is Instagram.com slash T-R-E-H-M-A-N-S, T-R-E-H-M-A-N-S. Now, your message of the beauty of Urdu is um, not only through Ghassid and um, your social media, but also on um, fabric as well, because you have this this beautiful, um, it's known as an orni, with Urdu um, inscribed on it. Tell us a little bit more about this and why why you, and, and you actually wear this when you perform. Yes, I do. Um, to be honest with you, I my job, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a dream actually to take to make people take pride in their own language, mm. in their own language. And the idea is not only to you know make people um, listen to the poetry or, or or read or only write, but start wearing it. Um, and that's when I thought of you know coming up with the idea of making the shawl, which I called only in. in, in and uh, this 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 shawl is actually it's got the name of all those poets which I have uh, read like I was growing up and they've had an influence on my life. Wow! And um, then I made the shawl and then we had a photo shoot and, and I actually um, you know brought this uh, photo shoot in public to uh, to to a photo story mm-hmm. and that photo story was actually based on one of the finest romantic tales of Urdu history between three points. Uh, which is actually a true story between Amrita Pritam, Sahel Khanvi and Rose. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made a photo story, you know, uh, projected these shots on social media and it was taken so well. Uh, so I was not only, you know, uh, I would say marketing my shot, but I was also marketing the story. Uh, which was very cleverly done and it was quite, it was very intriguing to observe um, but it doesn't stop there I'm assuming you're going to be creating more stories because of the popularity it's received I'm actually uh, these days working on another story another story which is uh, based on Khalid's poetry mm, wow and I'm building up a story again and we're planning a photo shoot uh, so lots, lots of things in the pipeline uh, let's see how it comes up now, I'm sure our listeners are going to be quite intrigued to hear you narrate a Urdu piece. So, is there something that you would be kind enough to share with our listeners this morning? Oh, I would love to. Um, I actually wrote a poem on on the partition between India and Pakistan. Wow. And uh, it's a very short poem. Mm-hmm. And it goes something like, I'll, and, you know, I'll translate it later, which goes, Madhati uh, Bunyatpat. इस टुकड़े का अब बंटवारा हो चुका है यह भी तय पा गया है कि बादल बारिश फूल और बूटे हिंदुस्तानी और पाकिस्तानी होंगे लेकिन जरा सी चलने वाली हवा से इधर की मिट्टी उधर जो गिरती है धरती पर 
کسی کشمکش میں ہے کہ اب اس کی شہریت کیا ہوگی برسوں پرانے ٹوٹے رشتوں کی اب حیثیت کیا ہوگی اور زمین کی اس تقسیم میں آسمان کی اہمیت کیا ہوگی Judgmental, and we stereotype people. 
and that was you know that the, all of these things they started to make that society very suffocating and that's when i realized that, you know, it's about time to step up and you know um, start talking to these people in, in, in small pockets and little groups and uh, i talk about cultural violence extremism i talk about accepting people for whatever they believe in mm-hmm. however they look like mm-hmm. um i i speak in all inclusive society i speak of coexistence and that's what i do and uh, to be honest with you you know whenever i speak at night it's, i i i get the most peaceful sleep because i realize i feel like you know, i'm at least contributing something and these boys and girls will come to me and they say you know what you've actually changed our lives you've actually made us think mm. and that's the best uh, reward um, so yeah you know uh, I, i i believe that i'm responsible i i i have to contribute and that's why i do this Well, and the contribution has made a massive big impact in many young people's lives because you've had like residentials where you encourage young people to come forward and kind of really critically think about what they believe peace should mean and that kind of goes on and feeds into the communities mashallah very su- successful that's re- right. residential and I tell you you know that's that's so true and I'm so lucky and very fortunate that I actually got the opportunity mm. to, to to join the uh, team of people who were who were the doers of the society mm. I, i have to take a name here that you know uh, my friend who actually uh, is was be heading the whole campaign his name is ali hamid mm-hmm. and um, he was the one who actually you know brought me in and you know he, he gave me a platform and that's where i actually joined hands with him and we've done some commendable of in pakistan i tell you mm-hmm. uh, we've introduced pakistan's first peace fellowship as a fellowship mm-hmm. we have it is these talks in pakistan from all across uh, pakistan from the left to the center from the right and this brought people on the top and i tell you that's such an achievement but at least i take massive pride in this mashallah mashallah and something that your children also will take great pride in because you are the father of two of adorable boys um and um and and what sort of world do you envisage them to be part of ah uh, i wish Uh, a very happy world for them and i think every parent would uh but unfortunately we we don't live in such a world we live in a world which is full of hatred we live in a world which is full of judgments um this is my children from all other children uh, these, these are all our children you know regardless of whatever they are and how whatever they believe i would really want them to grow up in a society which lifts them mm-hmm. which gives them wings and they can fly and they can have their feelings and they can and they can think things and they can they can live their dreams um the only thing as a parent that i can do and give my children is to go set some values good education mm-hmm. to fly mashallah the best every parent to do that now um art is and poetry and language and creativity for many is like a universal language and it brings people together um what tips could you give to people if they want to kind of nurture the art form of urdu poetry um and where does one start when um in order to you know uh, start beat any poetry beat urdu beat english beat punjabi beat bengali whatever I think the first thing we need to do is, is to read. And then we've got to read like really well. Mm-hmm. Um and we we've got to read, you know, um different different writers uh, with different backgrounds and different beliefs, uh, different mindsets. Mm-hmm. So I've read Mantu, I've read Iqbal. Now both of them is a poor the part. Mm-hmm. 
Or there is like the English, um, that's right, yeah, phonetically written in English words, mm-hmm. so that's that's how they can start. And, um, uh, like you know, they can come to my page. I have I've got so many, you know, uh, suggestions there that what they can read if they're a beginner or on a beginner level, what they should be reading. And do you want to share that page with our listeners? Uh, yes, so that's facebook.com slash classic official, which is Q A S I D official. That's my Facebook page. They can come and they can connect. They can ask me questions. I'm always there to respond. And yeah. Fabulous. Wonderful. Now we are now heading to the end of the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, Demur, thank you so very much for joining us from cold London, rainy London, very British weather. Um, and and thank you for sharing those two beautiful pieces that you um, perform for us on the show today. May your work continue and thrive. And thank you for sharing your love for the um, revival of Urdu art art form and poetry. It was an absolute pleasure being here on your show. You keep up doing the wonderful work you're doing and I wish you all the very best and keep smiling and you look after yourself. Thank you so very much. Keep smiling and God bless you all. What wonderful words. Thank you so very much, Temur. Um, That was Temur Rahman and this is Shamiza saying assalamu alaikum and Allah is and catch the repeat at 8pm. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.